Welcome to another episode of the Mau Mau Hour with the Pascal Robert. Also joining us in the mix is super producer extraordinaire, M2 Song. Hello, hello. If you guys are new to the show, new to the channel please hit like please don't forget to hit subscribe so you are notified every time we go live and if you want to be a part of this show right here there's only one way you have to be a patron wherever you are listening or watching this show there should be links in the description on how to become a patron patreon.com slash bitter presents and let's bring in the man, the myth, the legend, the Pascal Robert. Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings to the chat. Peace and greetings, Jason Miles, friends, comrades, and enemies. Welcome all. So this uh, music that I, I try to play, I usually try to play music that I have made to the thing while we're waiting for the people to come but um this is the music that's generated by restream and i think this is very appropriate for the show today this sounds like a cool black man's house right now 
Does it? It sounds like it sounds like the size of a Japanese restaurant. <laughs> it sounds like it's, this one's for the ladies. Is what it sounds like. Like a black quagmire, like you just walk into a black. <laughs> Kickity. <laughs> well, we yep. can't pick it. It's automatic, and uh, when it came out, I was like, oh. It's automatic. You can all you can do is kind of shuffle through it. Oh, right here. This is cool. Janet Jackson groove. Welcome. This is Pascal. Goes welcome to uh, <laughs> <Robert> Manor. Sounds <laughs> like you're going to a nice fancy Japanese restaurant. <laughs> but this is the Japanese restaurant on the uh, black urban side of town, like uh, a bougier black neighborhood. And then That's Pascal presses is. a button and a bed comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Dim lighting. What were the smooth sounds of the Mau Mau with thee, Pascal? <laughs> I'm glad you guys are in a good mood because I was thinking <laughs> this matter is going to be rather contentious. Oh, I was just preparing to get canceled when I saw what the subject matter was. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm uh, preparing for a cancellation. I don't think he's going to read that bad though. I don't know. MT, what do you think? You know, Pascal likes to set garbage cans on fire and like put me and him in front of it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he did it. <laughs> well, Pascal, what is the garbage can on fire content for the day? And I will take my answer off there. Totally not of that nature by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> as is none of the, the material that we have here on the Mau Mau Hour. What is the subject matter today is race, gender, and maybe a bit of class as well. For those who are not aware, we are now entering election season. And one of the consequences of election season is that it's something that unfortunately plagues most of American politics is brought up in ways that is rarely done so in an intellectually astute manner and often done so to breed conflict and controversy. And the thing particularly that I'm mentioning is the ever esteemed black vote. One of the ways in which the black vote is always brought about is in terms of how it will be marshaled, will it be able to come out, will people be able to draw enough attention to bring forth this ever prescient and needed so-called black vote to do what is done or what is necessary for the respective party of the moment, this time that party being the Democratic Party. Well, one thing that I found rather interesting is that recently I was watching a news program, actually via Instagram, I was watching Tiffany Cross of MSNBC. I normally try to avoid MSNBC as much as possible because I'm not a fan of the kind of liberal way in which they try to cape for the Democratic Party. I'm a little bit more objective. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with people who want to cape for the Democratic Party, but those are not my politics. My politics are a little bit more radical than simply mainstream, bipartisan, left-to-right, Democrat-Republican. And what I found particularly fascinating was that Ms. Cross was castigating, or acting like she was not, but she really was, black male voters because of the fear that they were underrepresented in their support 
for particularly Stacey Abrams in her election bid in Georgia. And I found it fascinating that they all of a sudden there's this, uh, this attention being paid to black men because for so many years I've been seeing articles that when black men even mention their thoughts on black politics, sometimes they're told to be quiet. For example, I remember when Luther Campbell, Uncle Luke from uh, Two Live Crew wrote an article about Kamala Harris, he was literally told to shut up and why, do you have an, why, why should you have an opinion by the woman who was then the uh, campaign uh, head for Kamala Harris. So I, I find it fascinating that anyone was even interested in hearing or at least seeming like they wanted to hear what black men had to say. But what was more interesting is actually it was not so much that Ms. Tiffany Cross was interested in, sh in sharing or eliciting opinion, but more so saying, well, why can't you guys just vote like black women? And what's really interesting about all of this discourse is that it's really based on perception as opposed to actual numbers. First of all, one of the things that we have to realize is that in terms of American politics, men in general are slightly a bit more conservative than women of their respective cohort, meaning that white men tend to vote slightly more conservative than white women. Latino men tend to vote slightly more conservative than Latino, Latino women. And black men also vote slightly more conservative than black women. There's nothing strange about that. And second of all, what all of this brouhaha really is based on is based on the anomaly that in between 2016 and 2020, it was de it was demonstrated that between 12 to 16 percent of black male voters voted for Donald Trump. So all of a sudden, people were like, "Oh my God, how can it be that Donald Trump is the most racist person in the year in, in American political history?" and 12% of black men are voting for him. Well, what that fails to realize is that if you actually look at the overall history of black male voting patterns in American history going back to the 70s, double-digit numbers of black men have voted for the Republican Party pretty consistently bearing the example of the Obama presidency. What we fail to realize is that the Obama presidency was actually more of an anomaly as opposed to a normalcy for black male voter voting patterns in that it overproduced a dedication to black men voting for the Democratic Party when for many years beforehand, black men had had low, double, low to almost double-digit participation in voting Republican. So my overall perception was that, well, if black men have voted Republican before, why is it all of a sudden that we have this echo chamber of nonsense where we know just because a small percentage of black men might be thinking about voting for Trump, it's cause for alarm. And part of the problem I have with why this is being deemed as such a phenomenon is because it comes in a consequence of the way in which the Democratic Party is trying to court black female allegiance to it in a cynical way to make it seem like it is willing to center the concerns of black women, yet not, not exactly demonstrate a political return on investment for that political participation. So what we see is that the constant like celebration of like, you know, black girl magic or like, you know, black women achieving in political spaces, you know, like black first elected officials, which is a class project, right? The whole celebration of the black first, the whole celebration of the black elected official, the, the whole celebration of 
all of the early kind of new entryism of black women into political spaces that we've seen in the last 10 years is a class project is a class project in that it's not necessarily going to be a working class inure of benefit to those who are not in a black elite or college educated pedigree. So once you realize that it's a black project, a class project, and you have to ask yourself, well, what exactly and in what way is this going to translate into any kind of real politics for the majority of poor and working class black people, if the ways in which the Democratic Party translates its capacity to benefit them for their political reward is simply through symbolic assignments of more black women, not even black men, but more black women in positions of positions and places of, 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 of hierarchy. So if the if the Democratic Party is so interested in demonstrating its fealty to black women by promoting them in positions in rank and file, then what what is it exactly that is the Democratic Party willing to demonstrate? to show that it's it's trying to capture the imagination of black men. Because what seems to be the case is that black men are saying that they are feeling alienated by the way in which the Democratic Party is not appealing to them, that the Democratic Party is not interested in their in their in their concerns, and that according to the article uh, in Newsweek, African-American Americans see themselves suffering on the end of disparities in health outcomes, education, and criminal justice, yet the Democratic Party has yet, not yet messaged to them. Democrats cannot merely depend on the racial hostility of Republicans to garner black male turnout. They cannot afford to lose any more black male voters to electoral apathy or to the GOP. Black men want to be seen and spoken to. We want policies in place that will help us, our families, and our communities. Well, I would make the argument that part of the problem is that the Democratic Party overall is not particularly interested in providing policies or politics for individuals in the party, of regardless of whatever position, unless they are wedded to the elite program of neoliberalism. So if that's being the case, what exactly is the return on investment that black men or black women who are normally the majority of black people, toilers and working class people, getting turned around for participating in this politics, when all we're seeing is a politics of patronage through placing black elites in positions of power and putting them in a higher position in that personality. Now, what is what is particularly fascinating to me in the context of this gender politics is that the sad way it's used to weaponize a perpetual online gender war that you see in black media spaces on the internet that revolves around the proper role and place of black women in society, blaming who or whom for the downfall of the black community, people using weaponizing tropes having to do with going back with, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, um, the welfare queen, or 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 or, or black men, or 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 the, the 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 lowest or the weakest link. All of this really vile rhetoric that you see in online spaces that I have seen myself in online spaces. What ends up happening every election season now is that someone creates some think piece or some article 
that is trying to castigate black men. But look again, it's those Negroes again. They're just thinking of themselves and not thinking about the greater community. My, I think that this this kind of black men, black men online, black men versus black male online thing is very, very toxic. I think that I wish that we had people who were individuals who were more interested in a very a more therapeutic way of dealing with the problems. And what I worry about is that the politics of trying to channel or blame one side for or the other for not voting in the way that other people who don't have the best interest of the community at heart will expect is going to end up causing more tension and more internal co uh, conflict between both sides. So one of the things that we had, and Charles Blow had an opinion on this in his in, in uh, the New York Times, last month in a video take the parents uh, of Positive America, Stacey Abrams, a celebrated Democratic activist with a Democratic nominee for governor, said that black men have the power to determine the election in that state. How do black, how do black men in and of themselves have the capacity to determine the election in the whole state of Georgia? Do black men control any of the economic matrices that exist within the Democratic Party? Do black men have think tanks? Do they, control, do they own the means of production in that state? I mean, what percentage of the actual vote do they make up? After explaining that some black men choose to not vote because often the leadership that gets elected is not reflective of their needs, she said, I know that if we have the kind of turnout possible among black men, they'll vote for me. I will win this election. This is why my campaign has been so focused on making sure we're addressing those challenges. As the Atlanta Journal-Constitution pointed out, this echoed a statement that, that she made at a Stacey and the Fellows event in the state where she said, if black men vote for me, I'll win Georgia. Why, why is this specific focus on black men? It is the most likely because a Journal-Constitution poll from July found that she was significantly underperforming with black voters with about 80% of the black electorate supporting her, although Georgia Democrats usually get more than 90% of black electorate. The campaign seems to be focusing specifically on black men when considering this deficit. Notably, Raphael Warnock, the black Democratic senator from the state who is running for re-election, got support of about 85% of black people in the poll. Now, there, there may be something different in the appeal of these candidates. There's definitely a difference in the quality of their of the opponents. One might simply be seen seeing the familiar sight of misogyny creeping in. Now, why again we are making all of a sudden we're assuming that misogyny is the reason why there's a five percent differential between why black men are supporting war not compared to to uh, compared to Stacey Adams. Maybe it has to do with the fact that Warnock is basically running against Herschel Walker, who's pretty much an idiot, and everyone realizes it's pretty much moronic. So no one is surprised that uh, uh, that 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 uh, that Herschel Walker is not going to get the support. But the large point I want to I'm sure I'm trying to share here is that this concern, this perception that black the black man voter is a problem, particularly. In, in in Georgia for Stacey Abrams rang so many alarms that you have Charles Blow in the New York Times dedicating a whole editorial to that subject matter on September 11th. What's fascinating that I find is that instead of trying to categorize black voting turnout as a collective racial kind of thing, why don't we ask what various segments 
of black constituencies actually are motivated by and how their class participation or their economic condition decides how they want to vote as opposed to simply saying, well, as a black vote, they all are going to vote together because, you know, they're all interested in the same thing, which ends us getting back to the same dead end kind of fat back and biscuit politics where we have nothing but patronage going to these black elites. So Blow goes on and in the piece, and he, the thing that's fascinating is that he says that it's hard, you know, now that this, there may be something in different appeal to these candidates, there was something that there's definitely a difference in the quality of their opponents. One might simply say there's a side of misogyny creeping in. It's hard for me to tell. While I wish that the answers were here, I don't have them. But I will say that this trend appears to be bigger than just Georgia. We have seen similar differential between black men and black women's votes on the national stage. According to the Associated Vote, vote Associated, Associated Press's Votecast survey, 12% of black men voted for Donald Trump in 2020 compared to just 6% of black women. This was consistent with 2016 levels when 14% of black men voted for Trump. Yes, but we've already demonstrated that black men have been voting for almost double-digit voter participation rates for Republicans going back to the 70s. So why is it so dastardly that you have a 12% of black men voting for Trump when compared to Latino men who were voting for Trump at all in the 30% range, they're still some of the most dedicated to the Democratic vote, to the Democratic, to the, to the Democratic electorate. So again, this, this this whole framing to me is setting up a paradigm where you're trying to have black men take the fall for something that's not really a problem. It should be noted that black men vote Democrat at a higher rate than other men, duh. But the slippage is, con is concerning for Democrats. The slippage is concerning for Democrats because Democrats have been using the Obama model as what they think should be black voter turnout for three or four election cycles. And they think that black people should turn out to vote as much as they did for Barack Obama, who was a political anomaly, as they vote for anyone else, which is not going to happen. The New York Times reported last week that Georgia Democrats have begun to fret about Abrams' chances because though she is beloved by Democratic voters, she has lost some ground with black men who provided crucial backing in her narrow loss to Mr. Kemp in 2018. Again, why don't we talk about what are the policies that are, are, that are in the best interest of black men instead of trying to set them up for being victimized for actually in some way being the cause of what is going to set up a situation where Stacey Abrams loses the election. Also, I found interesting about this piece is that the New York Times votes that are demonstrated in Charles Blow's piece that uh, black men have certain polling issues that are a little bit different than someone realized when it comes to mass incarceration, when it comes to policing, that black, that black men demonstrate that they're even a little more conservative than black women on those issues. So there may be a certain conservatism in black men. There might be also an increase in small business, small business ownership that might incur a certain conservatism. And the point I'm trying to say is that even if black men legitimately vote at a higher rate for Trump than black women of 6%, which is within the margins of other ethnic groups of black of men being conservative to their women, whether they're white, Latino, or otherwise, what is wrong with that? If that is just a normative reflection of their politics, why are we assuming 
that black people and black men particularly are supposed to have some kind of categoristically one content kind of politics. And it, 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 this, it's, it's really, really to me quite a demonstration of how this assumption that black votes are going to be channeled, channeled into the Republican Party sets up a situation where there's just going to be more conflict in, you know, amongst black people black people about a party that hasn't been particularly interested in providing the best of services to black people overall in the during the 50-year counter-revolution so the the next thing that i found also is that there was an article in uh, the grio the myth of stacy stacy abrams black male problem i appreciated this article though i'm not a big fan of the grio one of the things that i liked about it and this was published september 28th after charles blow's piece is that it highlights the numbers that I was talking about, about how black men have been voting Republican for years. This is not a new phenomenon. And that Donald, the percentage of which black men voted for Donald Trump is in line with the percentage of which black men will vote. In 1972, 23% of black male voters voted Republican. In, in 2012, it was 11%. The only in, in, two, in, in 2004, it was 13%. So why are we ringing all of the, these alarms? Again, the only anomaly is in 2008, when you have 5% of black men voting Republican. Between 1972 and 2020, if you look at this graph, there's not a single year barring 2008 that black people, black men do not vote at least 10% for the Republican Party. So again, why is the alarm being rang about black men voter participation that is totally in line with the normative participation of black men throughout American political history over the last 50 years? Even though Trump, it was, Trump is the uh, you know considered to be the bet noir of like of like the, the most politically outrageous thing we've seen in American history, there's still going to be some brothers who are who appeal to aspects of Trumpism. The bottom line is that for me is that I think that we need to stop navigating politics in terms of viewing it as a quote unquote black thing or white thing in general, and overall get back to a politics of materiality where we can deal with the classes of people who are being disserviced by these kinds of racial navel gazing where it ends up being nothing but a patronage politics for a group of elites who end up doing benefit better than anyone else anyway, without actually coming to a political understanding that unless we have a, a class-based politics that challenges this, we all gonna be screwed in the end. And pretty much that's all my mama hour for today. Shots fired. <laughs> Shout out to Wozni Lombre in the chat. It was Wozni Lombre. This, this is a this is a super Haitian show right now. I'm I'm overpowered by Haitians right now. <laughs> you know what? It's, 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 <laughs> you gave your band a French name, so it's okay. I did give my band that. Does that give me a Haitian pass? I I think so. Sure. All yeah. this French behind the me. Haitians like you, Jason. <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. Well, what say you, chat? Uh, let's. You want to do a call in? You feel like taking some calls, call Pascal? Okay. In Tucson, be entertaining while I set this up. 
He's going to be entertaining well, while I set it up. <laughs> I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on this. Um, I think Stacey Abrams has proven herself to be a climber and craven. And it's ugly. <laughs> People don't want to see that. There's something repulsive about it. I think people keep trying to make Stacy happen, and uh, she's not happening. She's 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 not that appealing to voters. So you think that there are other atmospheric points that may be contributing to her lack of sealing the deal, if you will? For sure, and they are trying to set up a group to blame. So, like men, perfect fall guys. Sorry. Yeah, it's unfortunate that this is the kind of, you know, game that's being set up to be played. Yeah. Yeah. Playing, playing all of us against each other. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. I mean, didn't Stacey Abrams lose twice? Mm-hmm. Well, Three times. I don't know. I think the first time... First time was, so- like, it was really crooked. I know that Brian yes. guy was super crooked, so I'm not going to sit here and say... Right. That was all on her. But I do agree with everything you just said about people just keep trying to make her a thing, and it's just not working out. She's not Kamala. Oof. Kamala barely happened. Barely happened in what sense, though? I mean, she was a senator for a while, and she was a DA before that. So she won those races without a big push. It's true. And she was on a national scale when she really messed up so well jason i'd like to you are the more legitimately working class brother that we have here i'm tired of these insults that's not an insult (laughs) how do you feel when you hear you know you know elite black women media personalities on MSNBC talking about why can't, or, or, or other news vehicles talking about why can't black men vote more like black women and, 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 and get this right? Um, I'll be honest with you. A lot of that stuff goes in one out the other at this point. Um, there is a weird, I don't know if you remember, we had a long talk with Joy James. Um, for those of you that are new to the show that don't know, Pascal and I um had a contract with the real news network for a minute we did about six shows um for the real was it six shows or four shows four four shows i'm sorry four shows for the real news and the final show was with joy james and you know i'll be totally honest we were a little worried about it about how it was going to go and it went well actually uh she was actually kind of a joy to talk no pun intended. She was a joy to talk to. Um, I feel it was a very illuminating conversation that we had, and and that was that felt like that was one of the things she was trying to get across, um, because there is this um, what's the word I'm looking for? There is this tension in media spaces about the failures of black men, and <laughs> Wozni, you know, jokingly made a comment about trifling uh, Negroes and it's it's become a bit of a market uh, 
Kevin yeah. Samuels couldn't exist without the idea of the trifling Negro, right? Yeah. And, and all these other cats can't exist without it. So I think they're playing to a, a certain song that, that generates a lot of clicks. We live in an era where uh, outrage begets engagement. And that's one of those things that's going to cause a lot of controversy. There's two conversations, I think, around black people that kind of feel unnecessary to me. One is, why can't Negroes understand Marx, right? Or is Marx Eurocentric? We discussed that, what was that, Pascal? Maybe the third or fourth episode you and I did together where we made that... You know, very prescient clip from uh, Kwame Ture um, about the idea, and he breaks it down in three minutes. That three-minute breakdown to me said it all. You don't need to have any more of these long-winded discussions that, to me, are very, very bourgeois. Um, and these discussions about the voting habits of, of trifling Negroes um, are equally as silly, in my opinion. Um, they don't really speak to the concerns, and it ignores the fact that um, it kind of flattens the black political's perspective of one that is simply democratic. Um, Quincy Jones was trying to tell you in the 90s that black Republicans existed, and that was the whole reason why he wanted to do initially Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Just to show you what black elite Republicans look like. So. Hillary is based on one of his daughters. Literally. It is literally based on his daughter. I don't think, not the one that's the actress, I think the other one, because she made a phone call. She made a phone call while one of the writers was there and she was at a camp and she said, Daddy, send Avion. They don't have good enough water here. And that's when the Hillary character comes out and says, Daddy, I need you had dollars for you. And that's where that character came from. Yeah. So to, to kind of, you know, to assume that, you know, every everybody is thinking on the same terms is, is foolish. Especially since it's never been that way. And I'm glad you brought that up about 1972. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I just want to say that black men are holding down black women from being magical and doing all the magical things that black women want to do. It's the same thing in the white community, but it's the white women holding back the white men. We all know there's one gender per race that really holds the race up. And black women are holding up black people. White men are holding up white people. Black men and white women are drags. I watched a whole video on YouTube about that. <laughs> a whole video. About white whole... women or about black men holding holding back? Black about women? black men, but then you got to throw in the thing about about white men to make it more legitimate. Oh, it, it just kind of sounded almost nonsensical. Yes, but now I see there's a pattern. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I think it all goes together. People want to associate the voting habits along with all these other cultural things. 
and uh, they have an idea in mind of a black man that is like this wayward and voting for Trump. Yeah. Like like it it all it almost feels like that's I like that word wayward. It does feel like this colored man has lost his way. Yes. And he doesn't know any better. He's not sure if he's black or not. And that and then you fall into that whole trope that if you are some sort of black Republican then you're not black enough, which gets into that uh, very very awful documentary Uncle Tom. Is he one of these Kanye West types? <laughs> oh my God! Kanye did swirl. Then he made those shirts. So what's said Biden did say, "If you don't vote for me, you ain't black." <laughs> oh wow, Arlo, why are you bringing up old stuff? That's that still hurts. I didn't vote for Biden. So apparently, sure, not anyone who voted for Trump has lost their way. Sure, there's a lot of people out there who voted for Trump. You'd be surprised. You would be. I think people would be surprised. We're gonna start taking calls in a second. I think people would be surprised at what barbershop discourse was like around the the Trump Bernie race, or I guess more so Trump Clinton race in 2016. There were a lot of people that felt that um, because of his quote unquote honesty. <clears throat> Um, and remember, he's been a part of, you know, our quote unquote culture. He's been an icon of success, especially in the black community for decades. Um, you know, Donald Trump hung out with Russell Simmons and Wu-Tang. Like, this, it wasn't like he was comically Socrates philosophies and hypotheses. He didn't care what them dudes were saying. He's like, can you bring back the chick with a big ass? <laughs> a method man. <laughs> Can you bring that colored gal over here with the big ass? Gal. I I guarantee he refers to black women as colored gals. He used not to date that, Robin not that Gibbons. When she's too dark. He used to date Robin Gibbons. Donald Thanks. Trump used to date Robin Gibbons. Yeah. Before or after date. Mike Tyson. Um, I think before. Oh. <laughs> I gotta get Robin Givens on the show because I know she's found Jesus. And she Has she? Jesus oh yeah, she's all about Jesus. That means that the stories that she has to tell about her pre-Jesus life are probably frightening. This is true. So if anyone out there has a line into Robin Givens, we I, I would love to get her on Pop Life and be like, Robin. Mm, Robin. I've been in all these movies that only church people watch. God is not dead. Part 17. <laughs> and your weave has been banging for 20 plus years. It has been on point. Tell us about Donald Trump. All about it. What made you make that leap? Shirley has all the tea about Donald Trump's interracial dating habits here. I'm like, oh my God. Uh -huh. I, I, I believe in my soul Donald Trump has no problem with colored women. We used to joke about this all the time off air, me and Pascal, actually, Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. I was like, come on. You know Donald Trump was in the Studio 54 and 74, not doing the coke, but it was like, yeah, I'll take some of that. <laughs> all, the, all that big chocolate behind just <laughs> bouncing all around his head. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like a candy store here. <laughs> These colored gals are great. All right. We're going we're gonna to push a call through. 
We are going to push a call through. Caller, what is your name and where are you calling from? Strom McCallum. I'm calling from South Carolina. Strom McCallum. Exciting. I apologize up front, like everybody except Jason is practically inaudible. Must just be the audio mix. Um, but I, I wanted to begin by asking, has anyone seen where Biden said that he, quote, basically grew up in the uh, Puerto Rican community? <laughs> no, 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 he didn't say that. No. That's, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's good. Um, so, uh, yeah, greatest hit, uh, Blue Trump. Anyhow, um, the other thing is, um, I, I, I got, I got two, two good points to make. Um, so apparently some of Hillary's old advisory staff amusing that she's going to run in 2024 on a closed border civic nationalist platform. Um, so I think that's interesting leading to this next point that I'm going to make. Um, really, the non-white MAGA celebrities, what they do is they de-emphasize the crypto-racism of MAGA civic nationalism. And I really think that if they even erase that stigma for 10 to 20 percent of the non-white population, that could deliver a popular mandate to Trump and the Trumpists that would allow them to consolidate power and basically render the whole of the U.S. a single-party state like much of the southern states were like up until the 1960s. So... Even if we talk about a swing of 10 or 20 percentage points, that's still like hugely consequential. I know people don't like using fascists, but if we want to say fascist adjacent, uh, uh, authoritarian, dirigist, civil, civic nationalist, I still think people have to take into account the fact that a swing in the vote that small could be the difference between a multi-party democracy where a genuine leftist party could sneak through and win something and just a totally ossified single party, a single near single party state. I really think that people might say, oh, Dr. Oz, you know, he won five or ten percent more of the Middle East and the South Asian vote than somebody preceding him did. Um, Pat Toomey, I guess, is his predecessor of that. Walker won only, he won 22% of the black male vote. Well, such small movements at the end of the day um, could be the whole difference. If 86 or 80, excuse me, I think it's like 83% of white people in the deep south who are native to this region <laughs> If 83% of us are already voting for Trump and the MAGA peeps, that kind of small difference changes the whole calculus. So that's all That's all I have to say. Well, thank How does you that very much, change? Well, my question is, if Absolutely. we all... Oh, we have another vote? He took his answer off here, so go ahead. 
if we already have up until 10% of black voters voting Republican normally under normal circumstances in general presidential elections, is that really a swing vote or is that a normal vote? Now, I would agree with you if you get to the point where you're talking about 20%, that's, that's a significant uptick in black voter participation in terms of for the Republican Party. I don't necessarily predict a 20% black male voter, a black total voter turnout. By the way, we're talking about percentage of black males. We didn't say black turnout overall. I don't believe a there's going to be a 20% black turnout for Trump in the 2024 election by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, what exactly are we supposed to do about the fact that there might be a potential of 10% of black men voting for Trump? Castigate them or say, how dare you, you race traitors? I wouldn't start there. <laughs> I mean, there's other ways that I could start, but, you know, not there. Um, I think that's a good a, phrase, though, race traitors. I think that's what people are, are edging around. They want to say that. Speaking of race traders, I think you're leaning on your seat, Toussaint, and there's a duck sound that people are talking about. Um, I think they're just duckest is the word I'm going to use against ducks. There's nothing wrong with duck sounds. Adds to the ambience. Hello? Thank you. Yes, caller, what is your name and where are you coming from? Hey, it's up in contact from Philly. What's the contact? Okay, a couple quick things that uh, crossed my mind in my past the past couple of days. I saw that a New York Nazis van got burned at one of their shows. Jason, what you been doing on the weekends? <laughs> well, remember, I'm I'm almost 600 miles away from all that stuff, so it wasn't me. Allegedly. It, hey, wasn't me. Allegedly. Wasn't me. The last thing I'm going to uh, do, listen, real talk, the last thing I'm going to do is like blow up a car because I've seen too many of them blow up in front of me. Okay, maybe you have some ubiquitous clandestine agents like Joe Clark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, secondly, um, uh, Lula and Bolsonaro are going to the runoff. Mm-hmm. I think Bolsonaro got a stronger uh, representation in the um, first round than I thought. I thought Lula was going to just knock him out um, in the first round. So we got to see how this thing plays out on, at the end of October. And I wonder what the reaction, U.S. Ford policy reaction is going to be to having a whole pink wave resurgence of Latin America. You know, we had an offer. You know, Infinite, we had a, a real interesting off-air conversation. I think it was all of us, wasn't it? All of us? It was. Uh, or at least five of us, um, sans Cuba. So it was Stefan, Jean, Pascal, me, Toussaint. And we were all kind of talking about literally what you're saying right now. And we will be doing a show tomorrow uh, with uh, Alex Aculi, who actually has been, I believe he's a journalist in Brazil or a professor. What does Alex do in Brazil? Is he a journalist or professor? I forget, but he's been covering it for some time. And his take on uh, Bolsonaro is quite different than the one that I think a lot of people want to hear about Lula. Um, my evidence is only anecdotal from my time in Brazil, but I was kind of shocked. 
Um, in certain spaces, Lula is definitely huge. In other spaces, he is not. Um, and we're going to really dive into that. We're going to talk about the growing religious right in Brazil that it's very pro Bolsonaro. Um, so stay tuned on that. But as far as the pink wave, um, I think it's a little overstated because it's assuming that all these people were some sort of uh, socialist and not more nationalist. Um, did you want to kind of you want to elaborate on that a little bit more, Pascal? Um, no, I think it's a very good point. Is that I, the, the assumption of the pink wave was some kind of this united socialist front that was going to just take over South America was definitely something that was playing to a lot of old new left senior citizens' fantasies in a lot of ways because the complicate the politics of those regions are complicated. You have entrenched bourgeois interests in places like Brazil that someone like Lula had to learn how to deal with and work with coming out of, you know, a whole period where, you know, the end of history was a real reality in global geopolitics at that time. No one was expecting that you're going to have any kind of a left resurgence in politics. So he had to make concessions. And I think that it's very easy for the burgeoning post-Bernie left to look at those concessions and be like, oh, he sold us out. I was like, yo, what does he have to I mean, you don't know what he has to do to maintain his legitimacy to even stay in power. Not everyone can operate like a Hugo Chavez on the national stage mm. and not face repercussions from that. And Hugo Chavez kind of aligned himself with the military that was very different. That's um, a different situation. Latin America, yeah. may, maybe not since Peru. And in reality, you're never going to get anywhere in the world without some kind of compromise. So, uh, yes, you would like to get everything you want, but compromise means nobody gets what they want, everything that they want. And last thing I want to point out, and I'll take it, I'll listen to you all off air about this. The situation in Haiti seems to be deteriorating, mm-hmm. like gas prices and uh, gains. Like it's, uh, I don't know if this is from the effects of any hurricane or just the uh, rolling effects from the assassination earlier this year. So um, I'd love to hear you all's thoughts on it, and I'd love to see if Watts wants to come on and chop it up with you all about it, because I'd be fascinated to hear his point of view on this as well. All right, thanks. Thank you, Infinite. And we're trying to get Waz to come out to the L.A. show. He said he uh, bought tickets. Oh, well, then then Waz is already at the L.A. show, so we're probably going to snatch him up and bring him on stage at some point. The situation in Haiti is pretty, pretty, it's getting worse in terms of the gangs are controlling larger parts of the population. The government is basically not functioning. And some people are starting to ask, well, is it the intention of the international foreign elite to allow this to be the case? Because no one seems to be demonstrating any effort to try to get elections up and operating in a way that can get the government back to work. There was recently a, a report that the Dominican army had a certain migration into the lands of Haiti and engage in some kind of action in the country. Mm. So we have to do another Pascal Haiti update. Yeah, man, we can see if we can get our boy Paul McComb to come out. Well, also, too, I'm going to, you know, put some fire to the feet of my best friend and co-host. Um, Pascal is going to start doing the Mau Mau Minute on the YouTube shorts. So you guys, if you're not YouTube subscribers, Please get ready because it's something that we doesn't have to be overly produced on our end. And there's so much that goes on in the big brain of Pascal Robert. We're kind of excited to do the uh, the Mau Mau Minute. So keep your eyes open for that. 
subscribers to the TIR YouTube. And if you guys want to hear Pascal talk about something, leave it in the comments. Hey, Pascal, we want you to talk about this. What about this? We want to hear more about Haiti. Talk more about your idea of why you think the quote-unquote pink tide failed or did it. I mean, those gains also, too, uh, were massive for the middle class. Poverty reduction was serious. Especially in places like Brazil, you know, the education that those guys were able to get and you know, to go to school in different universities throughout the country. Like a lot of the people that I met were in a certain middle class because I was on tour out there. Um, but when you talk about poverty, it's still massive in Brazil. And that was a point that Alex made uh, on the show. I don't even remember if we had that comment that he made on air. when He said, you know, you got to think about what you're saying to lift that many people out of poverty, how bad poverty was in the first place. And what does that mean to lift them out? Does it just mean from the IMF goal, they're not in poverty anymore, or have they literally been put into a new class position? That being said, next call. I think, I think this is going to be a familiar voice for you, Pascal. Oh, uh, caller, what is your name? Hello, you... Jason. <laughs> caller, what is your name? This Where is you calling? Shirley. Okay. I'll shut Girl, up. Girl, hi, Shirley. Hi, Jason. Hi, Pascal. How are you? Shirley, where have you been? Oh, I've been here, there, everywhere. We've been having, we've been, um, uh, a couple of the, well, not to bring everything down, but a couple of our elders passed away within the last few weeks. So it's been sort of uh, hard for the family. So that's where my most oh, of my, my attention has been. Condolences to your family. Very sorry to hear that. From all of us on the show, condolences to thank, your family, Shirley. So we, yeah, thank, sorry thank to you. Hear about that. But it does lead back to this discussion of gender, race, and the Democratic Party. Um, my uncle who passed away was very uh, active in local Democratic politics for years before he retired. His son, on the other hand, is betraying our family history. This mm. boo, I should, hold on, I shouldn't say that. But uh, this boo is getting cozy with the local GOP. They're trying to use our family name to like go on her some votes. Mm. Telling this dude they're gonna run for city council. I'm sorry, this doesn't this is like family stuff. Um so we are very enraged by this. And I you know that's what's just is going on in my head. I'm like, how can you even think that? You know and I had to tell him, you know, the last Republican there's no living Republicans in our family. The last one died like 30 years ago. And that was like a great uncle. We stopped being, really stopped being Republicans decades ago. And here you go, joining the party that is now the old Democratic Party. Ah, so Thanksgiving's going to be very interesting. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Shirley, <laughs> Shirley thank you so much for, for the phone call. And, uh, Thank you. And Thank you. And remember, that's all I just wanted. Just you know, re- remember what? Remember, TIR is always a place to vent your family frustrations. 
It most certainly is. I've been trying to turn him on to this show, but he's he's lost right now. Hopefully, he'll come back to the fold. We'll tell him we but know oh well. Kanye West. Maybe he'll come to. They know Kanye West, and then he'll come on. He'll listen. Uh, okay, but I would all, I would all, I would be up for a, a Mal Mal minute with Pascal if you guys start that. So that would be great. So all right. I'll hang up and listen to what everyone else has to say. Thank you. Thank Shana. you. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Um, here goes Tucson. Can you hear me? Yes. What's up? Um, what do you think about Shirley's Thanksgiving? Oh, that is gonna <laughs> oh. be lit. <laughs> lit enough to cook the turkey. Pascal, is your Thanksgiving one of those like? Uh, nah, man. That's 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 uh that's off the chain right there. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to recover her cousin to run as a city council member or something like that. He wants to run as a as a Republican and use the family name to uh to sully the family name. She said she come from a long line. She had an uncle who was a long term activist in the Democratic Party. That's rough. That's 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 like dynasty level. You know the TV show Dynasty. That's like Mm -hmm. dynasty level. Machinations. So, yeah, you can't uh, try to Blake Carrington, the whole family, huh? Ruining the Carrington name. Do you remember uh, Dynasty Toussaint? I do remember Dynasty, but not well enough to know the plot line. Or were you more of a Falcon Crest kind of gal? You're more of a Lorenzo Lamas walking around Falcon the vineyard. That, is yeah. that more your speed? No, I liked um, Jefferson's and Matlock. What a weird combination of shows. You sound like the oldest white lady ever. I get that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I do. If you refer to soap operas as your stories, you're too old. Stories. They're my programs. Oh, yeah. If you (laughs) you record them on the VCR, then you're too old. That's right. I just want to say I really enjoy the the large Pascal and the little Jason <laughs> like, sitting on his shoulder. <laughs> Here's his conscience now. <laughs> you make sure he does the right thing. Pascal, you, so you hear people, there's comments about the Mau Mau Minute. So this is, at this point, the ball is in your court. You can make, you it, make it happen. I'm totally down for it. You have to make it happen on your phone with your fingers, your thumbs. So you get a tech down, it's not a problem. I, we already told you what's due. Family problems. We just Hear want you to know that this is the look. <laughs> I have to go to Florida to tickle torture you into doing this. Tickle torture. <laughs> <laughs> you had that at the ready. You, just, you were you were planning that. You had that locked yeah, and loaded. The tickle torture was the plan all along. <laughs> this is our this is our last call of the evening. Oh. All right. Caller, what is your name and where are you calling from? Uh, this is Nebby. You're calling from Seattle. Hey, can you hear me? We can hear you loud and clear. Can you hear us? Oh, yeah, I, I can hear you. Great. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm a big fan of the show. Um, I, I was calling to talk about blackmail voters and Donald Trump. And you might have talked about this earlier in the show. I missed the first part. But I was wondering, like, 
feel I, you know, I'm black and you might be fooled by my Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel Air voice. But um, I think back to my childhood and like a lot of the programs that were offered for kids like me. And it was definitely like the black men are an endangered species type of era. Yes. And all the programs are about like, how can you get out of the community? Like, how can you leave behind everyone you know and just get success for yourself? And a lot of them are like based on like financial savvy. So basically just like modeling plutocrats more or less, like, you know, get these business skills, you know, get financial literacy, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And if that is like the bedrock for understanding how to ameliorate inequality, it makes perfect sense to me that like year after year after year of like getting that ideology that like people would internalize it and think, well, why wouldn't I vote for a Republican if like they are the party that's actually about like business enterprise and like freedom, you know, as, as they purport to be like, it seems like Donald Trump is like a very logical choice in the context of how black men in particular are taught to overcome whatever like systemic inequalities um, people are willing to acknowledge that they face. I don't know if that makes sense. I was just curious about your thoughts. It's a very, very good, it's a very perceptive analysis. I mean, that's what a oh, lot. Damn, of, I appreciate that. That means a lot. I mean, the first episode Pascal appeared on, um, me was it me, you, Ray, right? Yeah. Talked about boys in the hood. Mm-hmm. So literally, I don't know how old you are. I'm 45, mm-hmm. so we're probably around the same age from the same era, and and that is what I got mm-hmm. out of that, um, kind of media that was shown to us as like this is black mm-hmm. media right boys in the hood and and uh mm-hmm. menace to society and stuff like that and then you you do get a lot of the um the only way to succeed is to leave and donald mm-hmm. trump as i said earlier on the show has been an icon of just capitalist success mm-hmm. and financial literacy is mm-hmm. still something I mean, we just did a show with uh, Dwayne monroe where he was talking about uh how cryptocurrency was being kind of pimped to uh, to a black audience in a way that this was going to be some sort of mm-hmm. financial liberation. I mean, every few years, there's a thing that comes around, I feel like. Um, Russell Simmons yeah. with the rush card, you know, financial liberation isn't a bank. It's my prepaid uh, money card. Uh, Will Smith, I, I think it never got launched, but he was doing something with like a Dick Jay-Z where they were going to help finance homes. Remember that, Pascal? Yeah, Slumlord. They're going to be the new, the new Slumlord. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was like a horrible slum app. It was it was really bad. It was just filled with kind of uh, holes that, that were going to make them kind of de facto uh, landlords. So I, I understand. I understand and I agree with you 100%. Um, I think that's the problem with media discourse. It makes it a total gender battle. Why won't these trifling Negroes get mm-hmm. right? Um, it's also a problem with the notion of collective black community being an interest an interest marker for black people. Black people are normal individuals. What, what, why is there an assumption that 42 million mm-hmm. Negroes all have the same aesthetics, values, and opinions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you guys remember during the pandemic, the like the NBA did that thing with jerseys where they did um, all the cringe phrases on the back, like 
um, about like racial justice. And I remember one of them was group economics, which is like the most nonsensical bullshit thing I've ever heard of. Like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, yep. But like a lot of the players that did that were in like the, they're like major investors. They are perceived to be savvy and like, you know, try to like offer advice. Like this is how like the black community can succeed. And I thought that was just an outgrowth of that to, to your point. Um, um, anyway, I'm taking up too much of your time, but just thank you for taking my call and thanks for the work that you all do. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for your support and thank you for watching. Well, take care. Peace. Thank you guys for calling in. Shout out to all the callers. Do you have any part of words, Vesco? No, this was a nice balance in my mind. I enjoyed this show very much. I hope you guys did as well. The phone <laughs> conversations were a nice little touch also. Strom McCallum asked the question, when is Frank Wilderson going to cut a sick Yacht Rock album? <laughs> Can you imagine Frank Wilderson and Philip Bailey doing an album together? That's Actually, cool. yes. Toussaint, <laughs> <laughs> oh. do you have any parting words on trifling Negroes? Um, I just want to say, you know, don't forget black women, white men. <laughs> <laughs> Holding up race. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> a lot of a lot of this starts on Twitter. I just want to say that too. A lot of, a lot of I I think you mean this whole discourse around uh, black man can't vote, right? Black man can't do anything right. They're called like divesters. You sound like a <laughs> living childhood trauma. Right no, that is terrible. You're not an endangered species because you're not a species. <laughs> you don't qualify. Just so you know. Yeah, but it's a, they're called divestors. They are divesting out of the community. You got to get with a, a white man because he's, he's the one, you know, holding up, holding up his end of the bargain and white women are not. So, mm. yes. Mm-hmm. We should start a whole Twitter war. Not all it's, white men. Just a hashtag, not all white men. It's already raging, dude. It's Is already, it? It's a whole side of Twitter. All the time. But, all the time. It's yes. Terrible. You're just not a part of because you know you're innocent. I'm trying to stay away from all of you guys' internet fights, <laughs> and the only ones I want to start are silly ones over toys, which I didn't yeah. realize was such a like people get mad about that stuff. Are you serious? You people found a way to start fights. People get massive. Dan Dan came on the show. Dan Larson. Remember, you know Dan Larson, Pascal. Yeah. Right. Uh, I did an interview with Dan that's going to be airing next week, next Wednesday. And uh, he was talking about how people get mad at him. They say he's too political. No, man. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Pascal, you're too political. You're too political, Pascal. It's the nature of the show. <laughs> Too cerebral. We're changing it to be about soccer. Oh, Jesus. Which we will call football. Because <laughs> it is right and proper. It is football. When I lived with the White family, they watched soccer. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was sort of punishment that I had to deal with. He's so mad. 
it takes a long time to score and a lot of people get frustrated with that. <laughs> you get over it. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. If you want to be a part of the conversation in real time, there's only one way to do that, and that is through Patreon. Wherever you are listening or watching the show, there are links in the description to the Patreon so you can join. Once a month, we do the Mau Mau, but this month, due to weather conditions, we'll be doing two Mau Maus. We're even going to be doing multiple movie nights. And we can, when we get our stuff together, M2 Sant will have her own show as well. Dose Mau Maus is going to be fun. Dose Mau Maus. Mau Mau Dose, that's what we're going to call it. How do you say two in, in your uh, black face yeah. like What you just call yeah. it? <laughs> I'm not going to say what that stuff. <laughs> Thank you very much, Pascal. Do you have any parting words for the people? Peace, greetings, and mom out to you all. We are out. If I tell any secrets of the Mao Mao, this oath will kill me. If I am called in the night and refuse to come, this oath will kill me. If I see anyone steal white man's property, I must help him. I must hide what he gives me and say nothing, or this oath will kill me. The whole system in this country, the economic system, is such that uh, jobs are scarce. Automation is limiting jobs. It's, it's, it's decreasing jobs. And uh, if autom- as automation eliminates the job opportunities, legislation will not create job opportunities. All it will do is bring about friction and hostility between the two races. You, you see, there will be no uh, progressive revival if black uh, folks are not deeply involved in it. I will obey all orders of the Mao Mao, or this oath will kill me.